Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Let's jump in. From the modernist prophet David Foster Wallace. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in your life, you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body, beauty, sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power. You will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Look, the insidious things about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. And the world, they will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because the world of men and money and power hums along quite nicely on your fuel of fear and contempt and frustration and craving and the worship of yourself. Our own present culture has harnessed these forces in ways that have yielded extraordinary wealth and comfort and personal freedom. The freedom for you to be lords of your own tiny skull-sized kingdoms alone at the center of all creation. Now, this kind of freedom has much to recommend it, but of course there are all different kinds of freedom. And the kind that is most precious, you will not hear much talked about in the great outside world of winning and achieving and displaying. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline and effort and being able to truly care about other people and to sacrifice for them over and over in myriad, petty, little, unsexy ways every day. That is real freedom. The alternative is unconsciousness. The default setting, the rat race, the constant gnawing sense of having had and lost some infinite thing. From the less modern prophet, Blaise Pascal, you have to wager. It's not up to you. You are already committed You can't not bet your life on something. You can't not bet your life on something. You can't not be headed somewhere. We live leaning forward, bent on arriving at the place that we long for. From the modern philosopher, James K. Smith. The place we unconsciously strive toward, notice themes, unconscious default settings. The place we unconsciously strive toward is what ancient philosophers of habit called our telos, our goal, our end. But the telos we live toward is not something we primarily know or believe or think about. Rather, our telos is what we want, what we long for, what we crave. 
it is less an ideal that we have ideas about and more a vision of the good life that we desire. Your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. This is because your action, your doing, bubbles up from your loves, which are habits you've acquired through the practices you're immersed in. That means the formation of your loves and desires can be happening under the hood of consciousness. You might be learning to love a telos, a goal, an end that you're not even aware of, or a telos you're consciously disgusted by, and that nonetheless governs your life in unconscious ways. From some unknown source of truth, home is where the heart is. Where is your heart? What do you love? You'll know by looking at what it is you do and how you live and what stress or grace fills your days, what hope or despair guides you, what rage or mercy comes when you're wrong. Welcome to Hope Brooklyn and to 2019. We're about to get a water hose come at you. Now, one of our habit-forming practices, I'm Russ, by the way, if anyone's here for the first time. I'm one of the pastors here. So grateful you're here. One of our, as Hope Brooklyn, one of our habit-forming practices is to start each new year, each new January, with a mini-series, with a vision that we feel like God is inviting us into. And the mini-series for the month of January this year, we are calling Home. Home. We want to look at that concept. What is home? Who is home? Home is where the heart is. Where is our heart? I want to uh, draw some inferences uh, from the three uh, authors we just read. Some things, some themes that are present in all three. First, you can't not bet your life on something. It's not up to you. You're already committed. <laughs> you cannot live on accident or as a victim. It's impossible. Doesn't matter your circumstances. Doesn't matter if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus or spiritual or totally irreligious. It doesn't matter. You still are living your life on purpose. You are betting your existence on something. You're going somewhere. You have a telos. You have a goal. You have an end. Your heart wants something. Your heart longs for some vision of the good life. You're already committed. Everybody worships, says Wallace. Everybody worships and your telos, where you're going, is revealed by what it is you worship. Second thing, whatever you worship will shape you and usually not in a good way. Now we have millennia of historical and artistic records indexing how universally flawed the human creature is. And we have no reason to doubt the artist Artists are usually the prophets. They see us most clearly. And what we see when we look at art throughout history is that humans are pretty messed up creatures. And no one seems to be fully happy on this earth. Maybe we have moments of joy, fleeting moments of, of delight and peace, but it never lasts. What seems to be universal and consistent is that we don't feel fully alive, fully at home here. So whatever it is you worship, whatever it is your heart says, this is my telos, this is my goal, this is my end. And you live your life committed to that thing, that's gonna shape you, usually for the worse. 
So the telos of the career. If that's what you think, once I get the end of, of this career and the recognition that comes from it, then I'll be complete. Then I'll be whatever. The telos of the career will always have you dissatisfied with where you are. Jealous of those who are above you and smugly pretentious with those who are behind. The telos of the family, if what you think, what you most want, the good life, it will, this will complete you, is to have that perfect family. That will lead you to ultimately hate them because your spouse will continually let you down and your children will grow to resent you for how tightly you hold on to them and how much pressure you put on them to give meaning to your existence. The telos of self-fulfillment, if the end, your goal is to, to be fully fulfilled in yourself, if that's what you're, you're, you're pursuing, that's what you worship, well, that will lead to suicide, whether literal or figurative. Because pleasure will give way to gluttony and gluttony will give way to apathy and apathy to despair. Check this one out. The telos of loving humanity. If your primary goal if your end is just to love people well, that's what you worship. That's what you're going after. That's where you derive your source. The telos of love of humanity, that will lead you to heartbreak because humans are unfathomably selfish creatures. <laughs> the ones you're loving and, I'm sorry, yourself too. And they will betray you, even your closest friends, and you will betray yourself. The telos of the perfect society. If, if, if your goal, your end is to reach that perfect political system that will make everything right, well, that will lead to, I think y'all understand that one. The telos of a, of a perfect, just world. If we are gonna reach justice and equity at, every, at any cost, that's what we're after, the just world, that will lead you to commit tremendous acts of injustice. I just watched all the Avengers movies. Believe me, I know, all right? <laughs> all the villains start out as wanting to be just, as wanting to save the world. In the last one, Thanos, he wipes out a half of the world's population in the name of saving it. The telos of the perfect Christian, if what you want to be is just the perfect ideal Christian, loving and good and right, well, that will lead you to become a Pharisee self-righteous in every way. The telos of the perfect church, if what you want more than anything is a community that is full of grace and truth and accepting, that will actually lead you to shutting the doors on anyone new coming in and a modern day Lord of the Flies thing developing. Why? See the one above about humans being unfathomably selfish creatures. You can't not bet your life on something. It's not up to you. You're already committed. Everybody worships. And what you worship reveals your telos, your goal. And every telos seems to destroy us. Last thing I want to draw from those, those quotations. Your mind and your consciousness does not know your heart's telos. You don't know what it is you most want. What your body does Quoting Smith again, your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. 
This is because what you do, your action, your doing, bubbles up from what your heart loves, what your heart most wants, which are habits you've acquired through what you do. This is why resolutions to get healthy fail. Because you're fascinated by the idea of a healthy lifestyle, right? And even cognitively, you, can, you understand the science. You know that it's better to eat Brussels sprouts than chips. Cognitively, like we have the science that says this will be better for your happiness, it will be better for your body, your long-term health. We cognitively know all this, but what happens is come February, your body starts telling you, actually, we like chips more. That's what we like. Actually, we like the mindlessness of Netflix instead of the mindfulness of a real conversation. And here's the thing, Smith says this, you can't reason yourself into new hungers. You can know all the truth in the world and that doesn't mean a darn thing. You can't reason yourself to be hungry for Brussels sprouts. You know what you have to do? You have to keep eating them, even when you don't want them yet, until you find, actually, I kind of enjoy them. And then one day, shockingly, you're hungry for them. Let's take it to a moral sphere. You have to trust that telling the truth instead of offering little white lies will bring you greater satisfaction in the long run. When in the short run, it seems like it's not. You have to trust that commitment to one person, even if you're not entirely sure about them, will actually bring joy. And your body has to start choosing that. You actually have to choose gratitude when cognitively you have every reason in the world to complain. You do. Like, it makes sense. I should complain about these things. You actually have to choose, and your body has to choose gratitude, trusting that one day gratitude will get easier and complaining will feel unnatural. Now, this is a super confusing one, is it not? Because you think you love one thing. You think your telos is this. Your goal, your desire, what is guiding you is one thing but your body tells a completely different story. Full confession for me, planting this church, year one. I went to bed many nights with tremendous anxiety, felt it in my body. I had reoccurring dreams that were very anxious dreams. Now, I said, I, I even thought I believed that God is my peace that what I want, my telos, my goal, more than anything else, is the pleasure of God, his delight, his love, his words. That's what I thought. But evidently it wasn't the case. Why? Well, my body doesn't lie. See, what I learned because I went to bed with so much anxiety is that what my real telos was, what I wanted more than I wanted God, was I wanted this church to get off the ground. That's what my real telos was. And I lived my life to that end. I made decisions to that end. You say you want or love God, that he leads you, but your life demonstrates anxiety, depression, irritability. And let's be real, because I know and love many of you, all of you, once I get to know you, it'll definitely be all of you. <laughs> irritability, let's be real, irritability probably toward Christians who don't think like you, or don't, aren't Christ-like enough. So you say you love God, you want God, 
what you demonstrate despair that things aren't going your way or, or fear of not having enough. So what's your real tell us? What are the practices that are forming what you most desire? See, you're anxious because you don't sit in God's presence without a clock. Not really, right? Let's be honest. You're irritable because you read news and algorithmically tailored news more than you read his word or more than you sit with people who don't think like you. You're, you despair because you're selfish and you only make decisions that most benefit you. You fear not having enough because you're stingy and you refuse to be generous, to bodily be generous with what you do have. We're all like, and I'm grouping myself in this, we're all like that terribly horrid Christian who you go to their house and their house is plastered with inspirational Bible verses. And that's not the horrid part. I love those things, okay? Plastered with inspirational Bible verses, but whose heart is cold, who's bitter, whose table is never full of the stranger, whose knees are never on the floor in desperation. What is your telos? They think their telos is the Lord, but their life tells an entirely different story. So you can actually think you have one end, one goal, and actually your body is oriented to something completely different. Or you're in this room and you're, you're rationally intrigued by Jesus. You wouldn't call yourself a follower, but you're, you're, you're cognitively intrigued. The story intrigues you. Well, you'll never know if Jesus is who he says he is because you refuse to come to him on his terms. And his terms are very bodily terms because you can't get enough knowledge. You can't see enough signs. You can't hear enough sermons to be fully satisfied. Your heart has to be desperate enough. Your heart has to want something new, like choosing a healthy lifestyle, to want a new telos, to persevere in the painful practices of seeking God that might have a chance of reforming what you love. We all, all of us in this room, we have this sort of thin porridge of do-it-yourself spirituality. Why? Because everybody worships. That's what Wallace said. He's the modernist prophet. Everybody worships, but we have this thin porridge of do-it-yourself spirituality or whatever it is, is your tell us. And when it turns out to be isolating, lonely, when you're full of anxiety, it never goes away. When depression never abates. And when you're unable to endure crises like death or failure, or like we were saying earlier, you just get your telos and it flat out betrays you. Well, maybe you might find yourself open to something different. This is a roundabout way of talking about home, isn't it? <laughs> That's our series, home. Home is where the heart is. Home is where the heart is. Home is the telos you're betting your life on. Home is what is shaping you for better or for worse. Home is what your heart loves and most wants. And the idea, the memory, the hope of home is what fuels your life. So get this friends, home is both the telos, it's the end, it's the goal, and it's what fuels your life. 
T.S. Eliot said, home is where one starts from. Well, it's also where one is heading. We might say home is both the beginning and the end, or home is the alpha and the omega. It's where we're going. It's also what fuels us, the memory of it, the desire for it, whatever it is that wants us to get there. There was a really interesting article in the Smithsonian Magazine where a cultural anthropologist studied our primal ancestors. And she wrote, home is a way of organizing space in our minds. Home is home and everything else is not home. Home is home and everything else is not home. That's the way the world is constructed. Our psychological habitat is shaped by what you might call the magnetic property of home, the way it aligns everything around us. Not that you can't feel at home in other places or in circumstances, but there's a big psychological difference between feeling at home and being home. Home is a place so profoundly familiar, you don't even have to notice it. It's everywhere else that takes noticing. Home is a way of organizing space in our minds, which means, this is a bit, a bit abstract, which means we lose home the minute we realize we have a home. It'll never come back. Because up till then, it was so familiar Home was so familiar, there was no separation between us and it. It just was. Which is why we love and envy childhood, don't we? That's why we name it nostalgia. And we look at children and we, we say, don't grow up. We love their innocence. Why? Because they accept it all as so fami familiar. We beg them to not ask questions. Home is the idea, the telos, that fuels your life and it's the memory of it, the hope for it, that you're aiming for. It's a condition, it's a place, it's a person, it's a state of being so profoundly familiar, so peaceful, so safe, so intimate, it is home. It is our telos, and we spend every waking moment seeking it out again. Maybe it's in our career. Maybe once I get there, then I'll be home again. Maybe it's in my spouse. Once, once I get to a certain, get a spouse, get to a certain level with my spouse, then I'll be home again. Maybe it's in my family. Maybe it's in a political system. Maybe it's in self-fulfillment. Maybe it's in religion, money, fame, moral purity. All of these are ways that we are trying to get home. Again, which means that if we're following our logic, the other universally consistent thing is we're all homesick. We're all homesick. And returning to the artists, because I think they're the most truthful, Anne Lamott writes, all the interesting characters I've ever worked with, including myself, have had at their center a feeling of otherness, of homesickness. We have no reason to doubt the artists. They see most clearly, and is it any wonder why classics like the Odyssey still speak to us, which is literally a story about a guy trying to get home. <laughs> they satisfy us because we're always traveling, never arriving. Is that not consistent with our human nature? We're always traveling to this 
mythical destination. Once we get there, then we'll be home. We'll be at peace. We're sustained by the memory or the fleeting feelings that come and go. Or as Wallace says, the constant gnawing sense of having had and lost some infinite thing. Pascal, we live leaning forward, bent on arriving at the place we long for. Smith, the place we unconsciously strive toward, what our bodies are engaged toward, is what ancient philosophers of habit called our telos, our goal, our end, our home. Or C.S. Lewis, the atheist turned Christian. Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door, which we have always seen from the outside, That is no mere neurotic fancy. That's the truest index of your real situation. That's the truth. We're gonna spend the next couple weeks talking about places, situations where we can feel at home because we can still feel at home, but there's a difference, as she said, between feeling at home and being home. And unless we get the order right, and our lives testify that we do not, we'll constantly have that gnawing sense of having had and lost some infinite thing. So what is our ultimate telos? What is our ultimate home? From the 11th chapter of Matthew, Jesus is in the middle of his ministry. And this is what we read. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Look, I know I just said a lot, but I really only have one message where I feel like God is inviting us into. And it's simple. You need to come home to Jesus today. Every one of you, all of us in this room, we need to come home to Jesus today. He knows the way home. He himself is home. And you will find rest for your souls. You will. Not you might, you will. See, the most human thing possible, we just set this up, is that we're all homesick. We don't fit in this world. We long for something more. We live our lives committed to some end. We can't live uh, haphazardly. We live committed toward a telos. And the modern person says, well, that's just the way it is. You're, You're born for no purpose. 
You die for no purpose. You actually are at home. This is your telos. And we kind of sort of accept it, but it, it's still like, it doesn't make complete sense and I'm still depressed and I still live my life as if I'm seeking a telos, as if this isn't it. This isn't the familiar place of rest because none of us rest here. That seems to be universally consistent per the artist. None of us rest. I'm still committed to something. I'm still betting my life on something. Everybody worships, you still have to have a telos. Why do we live as if we have a telos, a home, if the modernist is right and there is no telos? We're actually in our rightful home. We're born for no purpose, we die for no purpose. Why can we not accept that? Why do we still feverishly search for another answer, another place of rest? You're an adult, you pine for childhood because you have that sense, that gnawing sense that you had and lost some infinite thing. And you know you do, I do too. And see, here's the thing. Jesus would say to you, that's all true. Your heart is telling you the truth. You did lose some infinite thing. You did. You actually have a home. And it gets a little confusing here because earth is your home. You were made to live here. There's just one missing element. A long time ago, uh, my father had to leave. The spirit of life had to leave, which is why you have these fleeting moments that feel like home, but then they disappear. Because all those things, the earth, relationships, family, spouse, work, um, friendships, all those things are good and you can feel at home in them, but they're not your ultimate home. And therefore they will never be in their rightful place. You will never uh, be able to live in them in their rightful place until you know that your, your ultimate telos, the place of profound familiarity, profound rest can only be found in me and my father. Now, when I hear that, my soul sings for joy. And that seems to be more consistent with the universal human condition. I praise you, Father, he says, because you've hidden these things from the wise. The adults can't go home. And you've revealed them to children. Because home is the place, it's the person, it's the divine being so familiar, you're not aware of it, you're united with him. You know what's interesting? In the chapter we read, uh, all of chapter 11 leading up to what Jesus said, it tells examples of how people couldn't receive him fully because he didn't meet their expectations completely. So John the Baptist, he sent some of his disciples from prison to ask them, to ask Jesus, are you the one, are you the Messiah, the savior, or should we wait someone else? And Jesus sends people back and he says, go tell John what you see. Go tell John what my body does. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, the deaf hear. Blessed is he who is not scandalized because of me. And then he turns his attention, Jesus turns his attention to those who are listening. And he says, what do you guys want? Because John the Baptist, when he came, and John came as like, a, like a, a forerunner for Jesus. When John came, he came as a holy man should. He didn't touch strong drink and he lived out in the wilderness, and like he was very austere and proper and kind of crazy and deranged. That's what you expect from a holy person, right? And you didn't receive him. And then I, the son of man, I came eating and drinking. I came sitting at your tables. I associate with everyone. And you still don't accept me. 
What do you need to see so that you'll accept the truth that is coming from both of us? And then he turns his attention to two towns and he basically says, woe to you because I did such deeds of power and you still didn't repent. You still didn't come home to me. Why did you not receive? Because you've hidden these things from adults and you reveal them to little children. Only the innocent, only those who are willing to engage in a little silliness, only those who are willing to humble themselves and say, I am not in control of my life. I did not create myself. I am accountable to a creator. And I receive the words of that creator. That is a humbling prospect. And only those who bodily engage in that can receive life. So Jesus, how do I go home? All things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Don't go to your broken marriage. You have a broken marriage? Don't go to it. Come to me. You have a broken job, a dead-end job? Don't look for that to change. Come to me. Your, your, Your church isn't what you want, or you're looking for the church to be perfect? Don't go to that. Come to me. Your child, you're depressed, whatever it may be. Wherever the issues are, you're not gonna find the answers in them. Come to me, come to me, all you homesick, terrified, depressed, burdened adults, and I will give you rest. Come home like a child. Receive the truth from my mouth because I represent the Father. No one's seen the Father except the Son and no one's seen the Son except the Father. Jesus is the tell us you were made for, so come. Interesting thing about that phrase, come to me all you weary and heavy burden and I will give you rest. The word for come is duta, which is like an interrogative. It really has the meaning of like, come now. Come now. Don't put it off any longer. Not tomorrow, today. Come now to me, all you weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The word for that is anaposo. And the reason why that's important is because I will give you rest. It sort of has this idea of like an object. I'm giving you an object, right? I'm giving you rest and now I'm out. No, Anapalso is more like, I will rest you. I myself am the rest. I myself am the one who refreshes you. Come now to me and I will be your rest. Jesus is the home, the telos, the rest your hearts are thirsty for. And you might be in this room and you're like, well, I'm not a Christian. You need to come home to Jesus today. Do your hearts not burn within you? When you read his story, does there something that not stir up? And, it's, and I say this, it's indisputable when you look at the story of Jesus of Nazareth, that it is unsurpassed in its intrinsic beauty and its historical effect. There is no story of another human being that has changed the world like this one. And you're thinking, well, why Jesus? That's so exclusive. A couple things about that. To come home to Jesus, he doesn't have a scorched earth policy. I know it's sometimes been talked like that, but he doesn't. It's not like you come to me and then I want you to burn your past and everything about it was wrong. Not at all. He's more like the glasses you put on that allows you to see clearly for the first time to see everything, to see the things in your life, in your past that are good and and are completed and see the things that need to be dropped. 
Jesus is the final manifestation of the divine one. And you might be here thinking, so many of the religions are, are a lot alike. And that's true. And I would say, I would expect that, right? If we come from one divine creator, I would expect to see residue of the divine and all the various faiths, or a lot of them. What isn't true is when you look at the stories of the founders of the religions. There's nothing, there is nothing comparable to the story of Jesus. He doesn't appear, he appears human and not human at the same time. There is something different of his story. And he holds together all of the best things that the world has offered. So generally, uh, human nature worldview is split between philosophy and mythology. And this is G.K. Chesterton, right? Like most worldviews are like very philosophical in nature, very ethical. Here are the rules that we follow. And there are others that are very mythological in nature. Uh, we have folklores, we have tales that give us meaning. Jesus is the perfect combination of the myth and philosophy, which is why you have people look at his teaching and say there's nothing like it but he's also born of a virgin, he's died, he's raised from the dead three days later. There is a, there's a myth in it as well. It's the myth that becomes history, the myth that is true. So he holds those together. He holds together grace and truth unlike anything else. He holds together mercy and judgment. And in Jesus, he completes everything that is still lacking. And, and I hesitate to speak on this because I am not an expert on, on Eastern religion, but I've been reading books on Buddhism recently. And, and so please correct me if I'm wrong in this, but um, the, the, the four noble truths and the first one being Dukkha, which is that all is suffering, right? And all attachments to, to home or to people or place will cause suffering. So the goal is to detach and to reach a plate of serene detachment uh, and, and therefore non-being. Jesus would say, because we just talked about this, yes, all is suffering. <laughs> he would say, you need to detach from your career because if your career is your telos, it's gonna destroy you. If your family is your telos, it's gonna destroy you. All these things, you need to detach. But when you attach onto me, the source, now you can enter back into the world and discover your real self. See, what I, what I would say is um, the concept of Dukkha doesn't, makes sense for how the world still provides us with extreme joy. And Jesus would say, detach from it, attach to me. And then you get the earth, which is where you were created to live anyway. I'm not inviting you to become a Christian today. I'm inviting you to come to Jesus. I'm not inviting you to enter a church I'm inviting you to lay down your life and to surrender to the visible image of the invisible God, the final manifestation of the divine, the one who holds all things together, the one in whom is the portal and the representation and the fullness of the telos. And I, I promise you won't find home until you do. How do you do that? I confess you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to little children. You might have read, I thank you, Father, but the word in Greek is I confess. Jesus confesses the Father, I confess you. You have to receive it as a child, which means you have to receive it bodily, like what we were talking about. I don't care what your brain thinks. 
It's what your body does. That's what demonstrates. And you might be here and you're like, well, I am a Christian. Well, that doesn't mean you've come to Jesus. <laughs> How different does your life look like from your friends who are not followers? Your actions bubble up from what your heart loves, not what you think. What fills your day? You can't reason yourself into new hungers. You have to eat the food until you find you enjoy it and then you'll hunger for it. See, I think many Christians, myself included in periods, we've had moments where we have come to Jesus and we've experienced that profound sense of home and rest. But then what happens? We sort of leave off the second part. What does he say? Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. It's not just the coming. It's not just the surrendering. Then it's the taking on of a way of life. It's the taking on of practices. You know of grace. You maybe encountered grace before, but are, is your life committed to the practices that will lead to rest, that would make him your telos, your home? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Our default settings, friends, for everybody worships, our default settings are homesickness. And it's to all the wrong telases, all the wrong homes instead of him. We'll come to anything except Jesus because to come to Jesus entails the humiliating reception of a child. To come to Jesus, we'll, we'll even come to a church like Hope Brooklyn that we love, that is doing incredible work, that provides room for everyone to be precisely where they are. And that's not changing because that is the essence of who God is. But we'll come to that and not Jesus. And hear me, friends, Hope Brooklyn will not give you rest. It won't. Just give it a little bit of time and you'll resent us just like you resented the last church because you're not coming to the one who is rest. What is your tell us? What is your tell us? How do we do that? We take my yoke upon you and we learn from me. Dallas Willard writes, the mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, turning the other cheek, going the second mile, to want what is right, but at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend, that is to say, we think what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it reality. You don't surrender to Jesus. You don't come to him and then wake up and be like, oh, someone struck me on the right cheek. I wanna, you know, I, I'll give him the left. No, someone strikes me on the right. I'm still gonna give him the left, my left, not his left, right? You don't do that. You come to Jesus, you surrender, and then you start engaging in the way of life that will make it so natural that when you are struck on the right cheek, it's your new default setting to turn the left. But when you come to Jesus, when you take on those practices, take my yoke, learn from me, it'll make it so natural that when circumstances start going to the pits, you can say like Paul, I know how to be content with a lot and I know how to be content with little. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The way of life 
the set of practices that Jesus practiced, that will reunite us with the Father through the Son. And according to Jesus, we will find rest. Tell us, home. You need to come home to Jesus today, all of us in this room. So how do we do that? Come to me, come now, and take my yoke upon you. So it's twofold. I want to invite everyone in this room to close their eyes right now. We see Jesus say, I confess you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to little children. What matters is not what you think. What matters is what your body does. And the reality is, friends, myself included, I am not apart from you in this. I am standing with you. The reality is, is that we have made so many things, even unintentionally, we have made things our home, our telos. We pursue them and they lead us to more despair. They lead us to more agony. It never works. And as we enter 2019, as an individual and as a community, I want to invite all of us in this room to come home to Jesus today. To surrender. To say, I am not in control. You are in control. And so in just a second, I'm going to ask, if you want to make that confession, everyone in this room, whether for the first time or the hundredth time, it doesn't matter. If you want to make this confession, I want to ask you to raise your hand in a second. And you might be thinking, whoa, that's, that's silly. We all need a little more silliness. That's the point. Because the adults cannot receive him. Only the children can. And it doesn't matter what your mind thinks. It matters what your body does. Your body demonstrates what your heart most wants. No one's looking. It's between you and Christ and me as your witness. The year is starting afresh. He's calling out to you. He's saying, you've tried it by yourself. You've looked for it in all these other places. Why not look for it in me? Come to me. Come home to me and I will give you rest. So if you want to make that confession as a commitment for 2019, like I said, the first or the last or the hundred, would you raise your hand right now? Engage in a little silliness. Father, you see the hands raised. You see those who are saying yes. Would you meet them in this? Would you give them rest? As 2019 starts and things vie for our attention, vie for our love, 
our hearts be centered on you alone. Like little children, we run into the arms of the Father, who we see because we see Jesus. And find rest for our souls. You can put your hands down. And lastly, I want to say, if your hand, if you didn't raise it, I want you to hear from me. You are so deeply loved. You are chosen. This can be a home for you. But hear me. Hear me. It will not give you rest, ultimately. What you're seeking can't fully be found at Hope Brooklyn. Hope Brooklyn is only the messenger for it. And it only works because we're not pursuing Hope Brooklyn. We are pursuing Jesus. But this is a place for you. Amen. A couple things. We have something called a spiritual response card, which is in that fanny pack. And there's a, there's a space on it where you can like tick off um, a spiritual step you wanna take. So perhaps um, you chose to, to surrender to Jesus for the first time. You're like, well, what now? What do I do? Or maybe you're coming back after a long stint away. Fill that out and drop it off at the what's next table as you leave service. And what's gonna happen is we have a team of people who we just want to walk alongside with you. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. We have to learn from him. And there are people who have been walking for a while that wanna walk with you. So fill that out, drop it off, and we'll be in touch. Secondly, for everyone in this room, for everyone in this room, 2019, what God is inviting us into is taking on the yoke, learning from him. After the home series, we're entering into a series we're calling The Way of Jesus, where we are gonna look at the practices Jesus engaged in that will lead us to rest. We wanna see, is it true? This time next year in 2020, is our life marked by rest in a way that it wasn't right now? And so today I'm inviting you into twofold, two things, okay? There was an email. Ooh, there will be an email going out in three minutes with a link to something called a Lectio Divina journal. Some of you may know what Lectio Divina is, some of you may not. We have a sample page we're gonna put up here. Lectio, that might be tough to see. Lectio Divina is called divine reading and it's an ancient practice that the church has been in, engaged in for a very long time. It's a morning or an evening rhythm where you, um, yeah, sorry about that, Jay, I got a little bit more. <laughs> it's a morning or an evening rhythm for like 10 minutes where you'll read a passage of scripture, you'll meditate on it, you'll journal about it, you'll write a prayer on it. It's a way to make Jesus central, to come home. And so what I want, what I'm inviting everyone in this room, I don't, if you have devotionals already or not, let's commit to this as a community. They were roughly $10. And so we're doing a situation where you meet us halfway. Cause that's usually the way it works with Jesus. We go halfway, he comes halfway. So you pay five, we'll pay five. So when that email goes out in two minutes time, the rest of today, whenever, fill it out, register 
for Lectio Divina Journal. Those will be coming out at the end of January and we're gonna be going through it together as a community. More information to come. The second thing I'm inviting us into, because we're gonna practice the way of Jesus this year, it's not just divine reading, but also prayer. More info to come. All you need to know is this. As you leave service today, there's a big whiteboard where it says February prayer calendar. And it's gonna have the dates with slots underneath uh, each date. Put your name in one of them. And all, that's gonna, all you need to know is that on that date, the entire church is gonna be praying for you. Which is pretty cool. Let's actually see if Jesus is who he says he is this year. Let's make him home. Let's come now to him and see by taking on his yoke, learning from him, if we find rest for our souls. Would you stand together and pray with me once more before we respond in song? Lord, Jesus, we know that you have all the time in the world. You do not rush. You're perfectly on time. For every person in this room, you saw, you know their heart. You know the step they took, the step they're about to take. Would you continue to reveal yourself to them? Would they know that they're never gonna get enough of what they're looking for to fully see you? Come now to me, all you who are homesick, and I will give you rest. As we start off 2019, Lord, I confess, independent of this community, Lord, I will not put Hope Brooklyn before you. You are my desire. You are what my heart wants more than anything else. I confess that I will look more silly this year. I will be undignified like a child in the arms of the Father. And I know, because you've already showed me, that that's where rest comes from. That is home. That is home. You are home. And when you are home, everything else falls into place. Thank you for your patience and for your love. Thank you for the, the confessions that were made today for the first time. For the hundredth time. Thank you that you keep calling us back to yourself. And your love never wavers. It's in your name, Jesus. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.